Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Welcome everyone to ESSR Central, your weekly news roundup from us here at Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. My name is Mr. Central, or at least it feels like it these days, Ross McLeod, joined by Mr. Irrelevant, Scott McLeod, and Miss Demeanor, Sarah Grieve. <laughs> How are you guys? I mean, Red. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should also explain why this is on a different day, Central, this week. It's clear that... Uh, Asus Archangel was pre-ended this week for the Westminster Dog Show podcast. Um, <laughs> so we have to move that day later. Yes, and that's the excuse that we're sticking to. And if you would like to stick with us, well then, you need to follow us on Twitter, at Suplex Retweet, at Instagram, at Suplex Retweet, at YouTube, at Suplex Retweet. Are you seeing a pattern here, guys? Eat Sleep Suplex <laughs> Retweet on Facebook and our Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet community along with our massive back catalogue on Android, iTunes, Spotify and Anchor, remember that, where we have a mass of reviews, previews and interviews go wild there. We have such a varied history and and the spirit of a varied history, this week's Central, we're starting with Impact for a change. Uh, Impact's Rebellion took place this past Sunday. Uh, Kenny Omega from AEW defending his title against Impact Wrestling's Rich Swan. As many predicted, uh, Kenny Omega came out on top. We're going to touch on that a little bit later on. But I've asked the panel to pick a match each to talk about here before we go into the main event in a bit more detail. So, Scott, I'll start with you. What match are you going to talk about and why do you want to talk about it? Well, I figured, obviously, when you said to choose a match, we weren't talking about picking the main event because we'd talk about it several. So I thought I'd talk about the, the opener to the show. Uh, and I'm sorry to say if G had this one picked as well. But I think from top to bottom, Rebellion was a hell of a show. You know, I think it's the best preview impact done since last year's Slammiversary. And it started you mean to go on with the opener. You had Josh Alexander uh, winning the X Division Championship, defeating... Uh, TJP and the then champion Ace Austin and I just thought it was still I think it was about 15 or so minutes it was a perfect kind of opener you know the X Division's always been a cornerstone of Impact Wrestling and I was surprised that uh, Alexander even won because you know he and TJP have been kind of going back and forth and Ace Austin as a champion have been sitting back and watching so I thought he was going to try and take advantage of those two like 
ripping each other apart, and then he would retain the title, and Alexander would uh, would win the title later on. But fair enough, he's he's a kind of like he's saying about this whole like X Division being a bit no real. He's the powerhouse. He's got the the ankle lock. He's like a Canadian Kurt Angle. It's the best way to describe Josh Alexander. And you know he's he looks like he's going to be a dominant X Division champion, and he seems to be carving a niche for himself since the, the North ended. Yeah. Um... Sarah, on the North ending, um, you know, Ethan Page had all the momentum with, you know, the Karate Man gimmick and the fact that he got picked up by AEW. He was in the sort of brass ring uh, ladder match at whatever uh, Revolution. <laughs> but since then, he's kind of started with with AEW. He's now in that thrown together tag team with Scorpio Sky, whereas Josh Alexander seems to have not missed a beat. We all kind of wondered what would happen to him. He's the one that's kind of picked the ball up and ran with it in terms of singles career. I mean, yeah, when it comes to this sort of stuff, this is what I, I love Impact for, um, because you can get, like, the, the, the stuff that happens backstage is often actually, like, just as entertaining as the stuff that goes on the ring, especially when it comes to Impact, so when you're looking at all the backstage stuff, this is where Josh Alexander managed to actually cement his place into like being a singles competitor and like Ethan Page it's it's just it's a really big pond over at AEW like they've got a huge roster in comparison to Impact so it's going to be a while before Ethan Page finds his way there um but like with Josh Alexander he's he's one that he's really really good um like when he he teamed with like Petey Williams and everything like in prior weeks and you wouldn't expect that um, but like when it comes to him winning the match like I just basically said anyone apart from TJP because he bores me and you know he's an anti-masker so if nothing to do with personal agendas um, I was kind of surprised that he won as well um, but that's just because uh, I'm a big fan of Ace Austin and what he can do um, but in terms of like sort of technical stuff, like Josh Alexander's kind of got in the bag, and I, I'm interested to see where he goes in the X division. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, yeah, he, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So I was just going to say, like, if anyone hasn't seen Josh Alexander, just watch him because, like, he's an absolute beast. I tell you, he's like, he's got a double underhook pile driver that he uses. <laughs> he is. He's got a double underhook pile driver that uses that divine intervention. He's got the ankle lock. He just I think he's going to be a very uh, dominant champion. He's had to take matches before, like even though TGP is, as it seems, a horrible human being in real life with the IMS thing. He, uh, these two have had some great matches together, and I don't think it's any loss that Tate Austin losing the title because he's got man around fault and he can easily slip into the tag division. Or I think Ace Austin give it a, a year or so, and he'll be Impact World Champion, like mm-hmm. guaranteed. And I kind of hate him because. Uh, he's running about the same age I am, and look what I'm doing with my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, Scott's depression put aside and age jealousy. We'll move on to uh, a match Sarah's uh, going to pick here. So what match, other than the main event, stood out to you? Oh, the last man standing match with Trey and Sammy Callahan. Like, it was more just the fact that there was actually some times during that match that you shuddered, you you yelped, you were like, oh my god, like I can't believe like such and such things happened. Um, 
I think the only letdown for me is that it felt like Sammy was in too much control for then Trey to just get a sort of very quick win. Um, but who knows, Like I think that could maybe play into the storyline. It's like maybe he just got lucky over Sammy, um, or that's what Sammy will believe. It's also the fact that you know Sammy's not got Ken Shamrock kicking around behind him. So... I don't know. It, it was just the fact that there were some times you were just like, oh my god, when like it's it, it was kind of like sore that it, I I physically blocked it from my memory because it just it looked that sore. Um, I'm pretty sure Scott <laughs> might like have some because you know Scott's strange photographic memory. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I I would probably say like I, most folk would have thought I would have said like the the knockouts tag match or like the knockouts actual match like for the title with Deanna and Tennille but for me for me that last man standing match was the thing I was just like wow mm. yeah it was indeed the thing <laughs> you, you so rightfully put it <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I, I really enjoyed this match as well like you said they, I liked that they uh, they had the unique spots for our last man standing match and it's good to see because, you know, last man's sign matches have been around for like 20 years, so it's nice when wrestlers are able to do something like innovative. One of the most brutal spots I think is when uh, Sammy kind of flipped the chair over uh-huh. and hit the legs up and Trey takes the suplex over one of the chair legs. It reminded me of when Homer in the Simpsons takes a punch and he goes backwards over a fire hydrant. He just he just bent back like, Hmm. Yeah. Very There's also like some things like including the the actual railings as well that looked extremely painful. Um, but there, there was like a small comedy thing where Sammy thought putting the steps, like the steel steps, on top of Trey was going to work. Um, <laughs> obviously, like it was clearly we knew that he was going to be able to crawl out and like come out from underneath the ring. Um. But I thought that was like that was quite funny. Just how proud <laughs> Sammy Callahan was going. I've about smarted you. It's like um, he said, no, you didn't. I, I thought like Trey was dead like midway through the match when they did the the pile driver from like the middle rope, but yep. the table doesn't break. Yes. So like Trey's head just sits off the edge of the table, and the table just kind of falls over, which is yes. a commentary point out. Probably. <laughs> Ah, Crowbar has been uh, making tables for Impact Wrestling, it seems. Ah, yes. <laughs> yes, those, those darn Polish tables. But, um, Scott, in, in an era where Impact went through financial difficulties and went through, you know, a lot of people jumping ship to go to AEW and WWE, and with the whole, you know, last year, people coming back, people staying for a wee bit, there's been one constant since 2018, and that has been Sammy Callahan. He is consistently TNA's guy. It kind of reminds me of when WWE went through that really like down period in the 90s. He either had Bret Hart in the main event or Bret Hart round about the mid-card to make sure that there was somebody people knew, and he was shooting up the mid-card. And just basically, he's feuded with everyone at the minute, kind of like Bret Hart did from 94 to 96. You know, he's... He's always there, and he's the one consistent in an era for TNA where not a lot of things have been consistent. Yeah, definitely. And like he went there like end of 2017, just before things started to pick up again, just before Callison Demore came in. So 
he made what some people at the time probably think, like, what the hell are you going there for? Like, when everybody thought they were basically dead in the water, but he's basically been the one carrying the company flag. I mean, the one downside, I think, to his time there is that maybe they, they should have given the world title a lot sooner than they did because, you know, God knows, like, the Brian Cage did bugger all his champion. But because he was the guy basically carrying the flag, like, he brought it to, to Fear and Loathing when we seen him there against BT Gun. And, like, whether it's good or bad, like the time where he had the incident with the Eddie Edwards injury, but they turned that into a storyline. He can make basically anything work. He can jump between storylines. From a main event storyline with like the Eddie Edwards or Rich Swan to then jump in and help like get Trey over as a singles guy. Like it's kinda of like with Bray Wyatt we just jump between feuds, except Sammy's usually work, whereas Bray's was just uh, show up for a feud, beat spookily, lose, go on to somebody else. Yeah, that is a it's a it's a working formula for Sammy and uh, Impact. I'm just going to quickly run through the rest of the card just to um, just to give you a sort of a rundown of the show. Um, Rosemary and Havoc defeated Kimberly and Susan. Uh, Josh Alexander, as we mentioned, defeated Ace, Aus- Ace Austin and TJP. Violent by Design, along with the debuting W. Morrissey, the former big cast. He's now got Eric Young as his manager. He looked in sensational shape. Uh, they defeated the team of Chris Saban, Eddie Edwards, James Storm and Willie Mack. Brian Myers defeated Matt Cardona. Jordan Gracie and Rachel Ellering, along with Jazz, defeated Fire and Flavor, Kira Hogan and Tasha Steele for the Knockouts Tag Titles. Trey defeated Sammy in a last man stand, as we mentioned. Uh, Finn Juice defeated the Good Brothers for the Impact World Tag Championships. And Donna Perrazzo with Kimberly and Susan defeated Tenille Dashwood along with Caleb with a K uh, for the Impact t- uh, Knockout title. We also saw the first appearance in, since 2010 of Taylor Wilde and mm. TNA. So a lot of exciting things that could happen with her. Many thought she retired far too early. So good to I see her, her back. Like, I hate her name. It's awful. You hate her name? No, her music. Or music, I thought you said I hate her name. Like, okay, I hate her. No, I hate her new music. I can't stand it. I mean, her old music is kind of like somebody's bicycle bell going off, so she's not really had the best of luck uh, with music to be fair. Modern day wrestling music, and it's a it's merits uh, another conversation entirely, but we'll dive into. The main event, uh, AEW champion Kenny Omega, along with Don Callis, Doc Gallows and Carl Anderson, defeated Rich Swan, who had Eddie Edwards and Willie Mack in his corner, to take the Impact World Championship. So, Sarah, I know you said online you you didn't feel that Rich Swan was the right person for this sort of match? Absolutely not. No, I like Rich Swan. I think he he's good. Like his his underdog story about his leg and everything. It was heartfelt. But see, going into this match, when you look at the caliber of Kenny Omega to the caliber of Rich Swan, completely different types. But you can tell that Kenny's the bigger star, um, and that there was more confidence behind him as well. Like I think. In my opinion, it wasn't the right idea to put Rich for this match just because, like, you knew it was coming. If it had been someone else, it might have been a little bit more of a believable match. Um, but 
Oh, I don't know. Like when I sat and watched it, like there was just so many times that it felt like Rich was crushing himself under the pressure. I mean, he, he twice during really big spots slipped off the rope. Um, and it was at two different times at two different areas of the rope as well, which you can just tell that the the pressure of that match was maybe a little bit too much for him. And I think it might have been a little bit too much to ask of him. Um, like, I'm not saying that, like, other people like Eddie Edwards might have been a good guy for this match. Me and Scott have already said that Moose would have been, like, our picks. Um, he should be champion, like, legit champion by now. Um so, yeah, no, for, for me, it, it just wasn't a good fit. Yeah, I've I seen quite a lot of that online, Scott, that, you know, I think most most people knew that with the way the storyline's gone forward, the fact that he's got the AAA Mega Championship, that Kenny Omega was going to go over, but you couldn't dis- it suspend your disbelief to think for a moment that Rich Swan was going to be you know, other than Roman Reigns, possibly the most protected character in wrestling right now. Yeah, it's a shame because also that came at a time where like uh, Kenny is, is so protected, and I think like his next major loss will either be when he drops one of these like titles that he's got now, whether it be the AEW or the Impact title, uh, and preferably two moose like if he drops the Impact title. But yeah, I think anybody else in that position, you think, oh, they probably will lose given the storyline they're building with Kenny coming and taking over before someone eventually, you know, uh, sticks up for impact and beats them. But that guy wasn't going to be Rich Swan, and it's a shame because going into Bound for Glory when he was going after the title, I was behind him. A lot of people were behind him because they were telling such a good story of him coming back from nearly like like career ending injury twice. But, but since then, they've given him like one off, bunch of like one off feuds and then. Adam Lewis to Omega. I mean, they did like tell the story of the fact that he's gotten out of the fought out of the one wing angel multiple times, and the only other time before this that he got hit with it was after the Good Brothers had already hit him with their move, that he'd managed to avoid it other times. But just storyline wise, he's not been in that big of a story since winning the title, so he's not felt the strongest like champion. And I think they kind of gave away that he was going to beat Moose going in, uh, right before Sacrifice when they announced, oh yeah, the winner of this goes to fight Kenny Omega. So basically, meant like, well, even though Moose should probably win the two titles, because I didn't realise that whoever won that match at Sacrifice would still carry the TNA title. I thought they were going to get rid of the TNA title in that match. And I'm gutted that they went back to the black strap version, not the white and gold one, because that white and gold one is bloody beautiful. But <laughs> yeah, uh, Moose did come back the, the slam anniversary before uh, the, the impact before uh, Rebellion, basically saying it's one you better not lose. And I think this is going to start a storyline of like maybe the Impact roster turns on Swan for letting them down, and then Moose is hopefully the one he went back and I, I think they're probably going to keep the belt on on Omega till Slammiversary, and that's when somebody wins the title. And you know, like I say, Moose seems like the most obvious win, and the war rumors his contract was up in June, but hopefully Impact does everything they can to keep him around because like you mentioned, Ethan Page, even Ty Valkyrie left as well, the Rascals. They can't afford to lose anybody else right now, especially not somebody the caliber of Moose. I would love to see Moose running around AEW. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, like, I want them to make, <laughs> I want them to have more impact people on AEW other than just the Good Brothers. Cause, yeah, you know, it feels kind more. of wasted in mm-hmm. the fact that you have Tony Khan and Tony Schiavone doing the paid ads each week. 
um, that uh-huh. I was half expecting, like, say, Rosemary to turn up in AEW or to Neil Dashwood or even, like, Suicide or something, like, just random people. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me, like, see if they hadn't actually done the Pinnacle versus the Inner Circle, they would have done a AEW versus Impact Blood and Guts match. Yeah, I think yeah, so. I think that would have been pretty good. I think some people are upset. I think Impact fans are a bit upset. It does seem a bit like you know what what is TNA getting out of this? And people are trying to say, well, TNA's getting AEW's most over guy, and AEW's you know doing a million viewers a week now on um, on TNT. You've got some of that brushing off on Impact, but it, it seems a bit more like AEW goes to Impact, but you, you can't come to our show. Like, our show's separate. You, you're not allowed to come over, that sort of thing. It does seem a bit like all the builds taking place on Impact. See and what none I... of it is... Sorry, Sorry. Um, see what I noticed... Um... Seeing the week leading up to Rebellion, right, on Impact, there was, like, loads of vignettes and people talking backstage, obviously, really, really hyped for this match, and it seemed really important to them, whereas it was mentioned once on Dynamite, and that was it. Mm. It was just left alone. It's, like, it felt like to them it was nothing, but to Impact it was everything, and, like, that's why I did and I, I did want to push for Rich Wong, so I was like, you know what? Like that, they're making it seem like it's the biggest deal in the world, and yet mm-hmm. AEW's just like, okay, <laughs> yeah. I like you yeah. could have given yeah. Omega and the one Angel strong if one won, if like by summer ago we did win by just not having him hit the one winged angel because we talked about it in the Okada versus Omega like series show that it took Omega three matches to properly hit it and beat him and beat Okada with that move. The first the time he hit it, and the second match he got to the ropes. So you can still protect the move and keep Omega strong by having Swan win and having show up on because that would have like shocked a lot of people. But again, like you said, we were ne- that's never that was never going to happen, and it does yeah, feel like Empire does get the short end of the stick. But hopefully, you know, Omega's champion things start to look up because it is it is good that Impact's moved to Thursdays because now you can, you've got kind of a lead in, even though the scheduling taping wise is different. You've got Omega appeared on Wednesday, and hopefully they can then say. Oh, he's on. He's the champion of Impact, which is on tomorrow night on Access or whatever. And mm-hmm. you got Don Callis basically talking about if you want to see the Impact champ defend his title, you're not going to see it here on TNT. Tune in here because they have announced their next like Impact Plus uh, specials. Uh, the next one being Under Siege on the 15th of May. Omega's confirmed for the show, but mm-hmm. it's too early to tell if he's going to appear in like a multi-man match, maybe team with the Good Brothers again, or if he's actually going to like defend the title. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, Dave Meltzer uh, tweeted out, Impact Rebellion on one major pay-per-view company service that I just got the full report from was the eighth biggest pay-per-view since August and had nine times the number of buys as Bound for Glory. And then he tweeted out again after that, sorry, apologies, the fourth biggest. Mm-hmm. So it's the numbers are there and TNA are financially benefiting from it. But it, it does seem like an unequal partnership. Like maybe mm. AEW, knowing that they're the the cool sort of ones, they're they're caught sort of flexing their muscle. It does kind of remind you of for anyone who 
<coughs> was about for that time. Excuse me a minute. <coughs> it kind of reminds me of when, see when the Bullet Club and Kenny was leading the Bullet Club and the, the relationship with Ring of Honor. Kenny rarely came over to Ring of Honor. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of Adam Cole who became like the American leader of the Bullet Club before being kicked out. And it, it sort of felt like an uneven thing because Adam Cole would appear there, but Kenny Omega would rarely appear in Japan. And it felt like, obviously, Japan was the bigger... Uh, New Japan was the bigger promotion, but it just it felt that way quite a bit. It feels like there's an unevenness, yeah. which I do hope is addressed. But if Impact are getting bags like this, then it doesn't really matter. So we talked about, obviously going forward, who could face Kenny Omega. They might not currently be in the company at this point. Uh, it kind of feels like a yearly thing, Scott, where WWE will release a bunch of people they've not been using, <clears throat> and TNA will start teasing us with old footage that just so happens to feature the people <laughs> that were released around about that time. Uh, Slammiversary coming up. Who do you hope to see come back to TNA at that time? Uh, I should say it's also quite cool that this time it's not just released people who have a connection, some of them to uh, to Impact, but they also teased the New Japan talent as well coming over mm-hmm. after Benjus and all the current tie champs. Uh, particular, uh, let's say I'll mention one release talent, one New Japan talent. Uh, Okada was shown in the the footage, mm-hmm. and I think reports were like the melts saying that he was almost like guaranteed at some point to show up, but they didn't know when and. I'd, I'd like to see Okada come in because there's all a story about, you know, um, get Rousseau when he was there and he's excursion giving Okada the, that Green Hornet like gimmick and how New Japan was so angry because Okada was set to go right into the main event scene as soon as he came back that they just cut all ties with TNA, like just out of like pure spite. So Okada maybe coming back as a, a sort of redemption story, I think would be pretty cool. Uh, or, but like in terms of actual loose people, I think everybody's going to say Samoa Joe. And like so, like, like Josh Alexander's talked in interviews about Samoa Joe after the release, and so like if we can have like Alexander in the ring retaining the title, his X Division title at Slammiversary, and then Joe comes in and confronts him, just you know, shut up and take my money. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that is a match. I think a lot of people would pay to see. Um, Sarah, in terms of. Um, last year, it wasn't just people going back to TNA, sort of like Eric Young and uh, EC3. There was also the likes of uh, Heath Slater, or just Heath now, who mm-hmm. made his debut there. Um, is there any talent that were released by WWE that might might not have had a previous engagement in TNA that you'd love to see there? I mean, I, I don't know if Andrade did actually have a stunt with TNA. Um so, but he's he is one talent that I would really like to see and like see how like Scott mentioned Okada being in that vignette. Naito was also mm-hmm. included in that vignette, which we all know that Andrade and Naito were very close when Naito was in Mexico. I mean, that's what started Lij. Um, so, what I would really personally like to see is Andrade come over to to Impact. Um, with the guy, like with some help from Naito and start like Los Ingobernables de America <laughs> and like just start that branch over there because y- you know it would probably happen um, and obviously like what like because that's what Naito does Naito was the recruiter 
I mean, the first thing he went to do, get Sanada. He went to go and get Hiromu. He went to go and to go and get Shingo, etc. Like, so it wouldn't like I would actually like to see it. Like, plus, you know, who doesn't love Naito? I'm not, I'm not David Campbell. I'm not the king of Japanese wrestling. I, I don't know these names you're hitting me with. <laughs> you know, I need I need David Campbell, the clear king of New <laughs> Japan wrestling, to explain these to me. Guys, uh, something I found out earlier today. I was listening to to Fightful and their review of uh, of Rebellion, and uh, they were saying on there about Slammiversary. They said in the the promos for for Slammiversary, uh, they just say July. They haven't got an actual date in July for it. And apparently the, the, the non-compete clause for the people like tease and this is the 14th of July, which is a Wednesday. So, you know, some people could show up that night's Dynamite if they wanted to. But uh, Impact is apparently looking at the 17th and eight, or 18th, you know, Saturday and Sunday, the 17th and 18th of July. Basically, just the weekend immediately following that date uh, for Slam University. But they haven't officially announced it because the reason they pushed uh, Rebellion from the 24th to the 25th was because oh, it was... That was, it was, mad for like that. was my birthday pay-per-view. Yeah, it's something to do like USC, and apparently USC is in question with some like wrestling shows in the past and doing really good numbers because, well, I'm not a USC guy, but apparently USC fans are pretty happy to see USC <laughs> doing shows again. So apparently, <laughs> apparently some uh, also some Impact Plus specials have went up against USC and done quite badly by comparison to Impact. Obviously, for some anniversary and for what they've probably got planned, want all eyes on them. So like, wait and see what USC say if they're going to run the 17th, we run the 18th. Because we want like all the attention, because like there was a lot of buzz around Slammiversary last year, as we all remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they they did do Slammiversary on a Saturday last year as well, because <clears throat> WWE had Extreme Rules, and that actually worked in their favour because not only was Slammiversary, <laughs> yeah, well, Extreme Rules being shite, I don't think Slammiversary <laughs> from an actual in-ring perspective was anything amazing you know there was some good matches some bad matches but with the hype around it and the fact that people showed up and it felt like a right what next i really need to tune in whereas other than the wwe title match on extreme rules everything else felt pretty what you know what i mean so it did it did feel like impact did the right thing there so i'll be interested to see where they end up putting mm-hmm. slammiversary but we will move on from people who are in Impact to people who have been in Impact, and that is Chelsea Green. Chelsea Green is in a wee bit of controversy due to the fact that she started obviously plugging the fact that she's a free agent, using some artwork, really didn't give credit to the artist um, who who basically did some of our stuff. Uh, the Twitter user at Salsa Boy, because that's three eyes. That's not just me, <laughs> Mister. Um, sent out a tweet the other day saying, "LOL." So Chelsea Green really doesn't want to credit me. It's cool that she deleted it after five days, I suppose. But like, who does this? I don't believe I'm out of link here at all. Um, he tweeted, he uh, DM'd her on Twitter saying. Hi Chelsea, I noticed you saw my design and even posting it, which is really cool. I was wondering if you could credit me though. I did work really hard on it and I would appreciate it as someone who relies on their artwork as a source of income. Thank you. This was on Friday at 8.55pm. He then texted on 
the Saturday, sorry, at 11.20. Do you think you could credit my work? I worked hard and it's currently my only form of self-dependent income. She then tweeted back immediately, I've deleted it. He said, I don't mind it being used. Credit is all I ask for. Thank you for acknowledging it, though. It then came up that Chelsea Green had blocked him. She then sent out a tweet saying, artists, I love and respect you guys. Please read. She said, it's super unfortunate that how this has been handled. Yeah, by you. I think artists deserve credit, period. After reading some of the nasty tweets, I didn't feel that reposting the art was something that I should do. It's clearly the artist's view had soured on me. Yes, because you hadn't given them credit. Uh, I support my artists. I pay my artists. No, you don't. I have been doing that since I started an independent scene because I myself was a starving artist and I know the struggle. It's really sad that an oversight on my part has led to this, but I wish the artists luck and I think that it's best that I stick to the artists who I've used in the past and who know the person I am. Uh, Salsa Boy has recently tweeted saying he's still blocked by Chelsea, so he hasn't seen the apology. Not to not to get any sides here, but I really think the artist is the one on the right here. Like I, I don't know about you guys. No, yeah, like any time that something gets credited, like every time that someone posts something, right, and somebody sees it, um, either you know acknowledge it, right. Or if you're going to post it yourself or make any merch or anything, gain any form of advantage from someone taking the time out of their lives to go and do something, the least you can do is give them a little bit of credit. It's the very, it's, it's common courtesy. It's the same yeah. as saying thank you when you receive a present. Hmm. Yeah, no, like, exactly. I think, sorry, go, Scott. No, I was going to say, like, I was like, it, does, it doesn't paint her in the best light. I've no real strong opinions on Chelsea Green one way or another because I've seen very little of her actual wrestling work. Probably tell she didn't get injured every time she comes back from another <laughs> injury. But fucking bloody wrist made of fiberglass. And it does, so it doesn't paint her in the best light, like coming out of like or releasing like a lot of people feeling sympathy for her and all the trash bag and people getting sent stuff back. And she's trying to start like a podcast. So which also isn't gonna like help get people there if they think she's like like this. But you know, like oh she's like putting the putting the blame on other people saying like like oh you asked would you credit him and you said oh, I deleted it and then just bought the guy for just asking, you know, for help. So like it's just it, it, she's clearly somebody oblivious to the situation and part of me doesn't now want her to even show up at anniversary. Not because I'm angry at this, but like I don't think I don't want her rubbing that negative publicity on anybody impact. Like, we don't need this right now. Go away. You and your <laughs> negative aura. Yeah, I think it's it is a weird one. Um, I think one of the uh, examples I can think of is Sarah Joe Hendry messaging you, oh, yeah. asking if you could use a photo that you took. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the video. So, uh, yeah, the video from Ring of Honor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it is, it's like people can go ahead and like, like even if someone, even if she retweeted it from his profile, she didn't have to go, oh, this is really good or, you know, at the guy, if she retweets it from his profile, mm-hmm. that's fair enough, you know, because people see it's his work and it's on his profile. Whereas it, it seems like she's went about it, taking the, taking the picture taking out the watermark that he's put on it and then using it to promote herself without giving credit or money to the artist. So, yeah, 
Chelsea Green, best of luck in wrestling, but she's certainly in the wrong. Um, Robert Downey, who's uh, actually drawn a picture of you before, Sarah, and yep. Kwaku, um, has put several wrestlers re-uploaded my work without crediting me. One made merch out of it without asking me and then guilt-tripped me when I confronted them. One made petty tweets about me for politely declining when they wanted to use merch of my art. Not naming any names, but still. So it does seem like it is a bit of a bit of a trend, guys. If someone does your work, you know, and if you're not going to pay them for it, at least credit them for it, you know what I mean? I'm not saying that everyone, every time they get new gear, has to go, hey, such and such did my gear. No, we're not, we're not expecting that. But if someone goes, hey, I did a bit of artwork for you, do you want to use it? Credit them, you know, because it's their income. I, I, I looked down my phone and I take a message as you were saying, look at a message I've been sent to me as you said that, and yet Robert Downey went, what, the actor? <laughs> <laughs> well, Rob, not Robert Downey Jr., not Robert Downey Jr. Um, <laughs> so we'll talk about, uh, David and Alan last week talked about the releases uh, that WWE had made. We're not going to touch too much on like what our thoughts are on the releases. You can listen to last week's show for that. But one release that hasn't gone over well uh, is the release of John Cohn. Um, Mick Foley tweeted out the other day, pardon me, I personally thought John Cohn did a very good job as senior manager of talent relations for WWE. I thoroughly enjoyed working with John on many occasions over the past several years. And maybe the company will rethink this decision. He then added Triple H, Stephanie McMahon and Vince McMahon. Uh, Fred Rossiter, formerly Darren Young, tweeted, We all love Cohen, 100%. Uh, Brian Myers of Impact, formerly Kurt Hawkins, put John Cohen, the absolute best dude. And uh, Cash Wheeler tweeted out, John Cohen is cool. So clearly somebody that was liked backstage, not just the Scott, not just the on-screen talent being released, but some of the backstage talent being released uh, is sort of striking an error with people in the wrestling industry. Yeah, definitely. I don't think a lot of people would really know that much up until like people were t- tweeting about it, like the work he was doing backstage as well as you know being a referee. And I think all the love he's getting from people who have now like defied him. You know, if he wanted to, he could probably get a job as a referee or a backstage official at Impact or AEW if he, if he wanted to, and then plant the seeds for 15 years when his son Nicholas comes in to get revenge at WWE for letting go of his father and. Not letting him defend the tag team titles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, sorry, I couldn't find the mute button there. Um, yeah, I agree. It's, it is a weird one. And Nicholas Mania running wild in a fair few <laughs> years is is going to be the least of the problems. But from, uh, from that tweet that Cash Wheeler sent out, Sarah, Trent Beretta... Um, responded to that saying Mark Carano too talking about Mark Carano as a decent guy and shouldn't have been released. Mark Carano's not been painted in a pretty good light recently. Um certainly not on Total Divas, you know, I know that's all scripted, but he wasn't he wasn't portrayed as a nice guy on Total Divas. And recently Mickey Mickey James took to Twitter and added Stephanie McMahon and sorry, Vince McMahon and WWE saying, hey, at WWE, at Vince McMahon, I got my care package, thanks a lot. And it was a trash bag with Mickey James's stuff in it, with just the name Mickey on it. 
Mark Rano since been fired by uh, from that incident. What are your thoughts on the whole trash bag gate? <laughs> well, first, first of all, uh, I don't know who this Trent Barrett is. Is Trent with a question mark? Um, I just, I just, I just had to say that. Um, oh, fuck uh, off, Grant. <laughs> <laughs> no, he is Trent because he's having an identity crisis. He doesn't know if he's Trent or not, so he is Trent. Um, Moving but, swiftly on. <laughs> I just I always have to say it. <laughs> um, yeah, with this whole Mark Carano thing, I mean, there's ways to go about things, um, and that is definitely not how you should handle um, firing or it's like giving someone their stuff back after a firing. I mean, you. I mean, it sounds like a really petty breakup. In a way, it's just like, no, I've delivered your things. They're in a trash bag just like you. Um, like, that. that's the way it comes across. It, ma- it, it makes... Like, if I received that, I would feel like shit. So I can't blame her for for going out of her way and doing, like, doing what she did because I'd be pissed. I'd want to do that as well. But, like, it, it, honestly, like, if that ever happened to me, like, touch wood, it doesn't. Uh, because I'm kind of happy in my living situation, um, that you would have like a little bit more respect, especially for, it doesn't matter how long you've been with the company, you were with the company, but for like a veteran like Mickey James, who also came back from the dead, may I have you all know, that like, she's she was a multiple time women's champion, she was a leader of the locker room, she helped season the new talent that are coming in like she's had such a, a miraculous career and um, throughout the entirety of like her, her her spells and to have that happen to you it really does feel like there was a huge lack of respect I mean if the least that they could do right I know like if they're getting fired over the phone or over zoom calls is still let them come and get their stuff just you know put all their stuff like in a box for them or something, not a trash bag, put it in a box, right? And just leave it for them, make sure that it's like, yeah, go around and let them say their goodbyes as well. Um, Because they're going to have friends there and some people are probably not going to have the courage to call people out, but like hands up to like Stephanie and big claps to Stephanie, Triple H, etc. for doing the investigation and saying like that it was the completely wrong thing to do. Um, but yeah, Mark Carano, he's never been painted in the best light. I mean, you've seen season one of Total Divas and like, that's not as, that wasn't as scripted as like it is now, but even when you see like backstage things, even like when you watch like WWE 24 or something, you see him, he's always a sore faced git. Like, sour-faced, and he never looks happy, you're just like, mate, who pissed on your Cheerios this morning? You probably deserved it. Um, <laughs> Alright, um, breakfast is <laughs> That's just my um, <laughs> Scott, um, you also mentioned something about Mickey James uh, claiming WWE was sort of ageist against women. Yeah, uh, she's, she's said this, I was saying from her podcast, she does with uh, like Soka Villa and uh, Victoria, but she was saying that like the reason she uh, mentioned Vince McMahon in the tweet is because she generally doesn't think Vince knows that 
Vince knew before the, that the thing was going on with the uh, the trash bag thing, and she brought the credit to Vince for probably not knowing about because he's probably got so much else to do running the company and everything. They felt like she felt like he should know about this is what was happening evil when they leave his company. And like it's it's amazing how long this was going on because like likes of Gail Kim or people like that who have been away from the company for years were saying that they also got stuff back to them in this like manner. So it makes you wonder how long this has been going on. But yeah, Mickey said that she felt like there'd be people were coming up there trying to get her to retire and like be an agent. But like she felt like she had more to offer. And she said she at one point pitched the idea of an all-women show. But she didn't say who, but she says, I shit you not, is their exact words. Somebody tried to say, why are you pushing so hard for this? You know, women's wrestling will never be that much of a draw. I mean, look at Evolution. It was one of our lowest-drawn pay-per-views. And, uh, and I don't know who that was. She she, she says, like said that, but it does show like, there are some, some quite negative attitudes towards women's wrestling you know, backstage. Even though I part of me thinks that if they did do another all women show, it'd probably unfortunately fall in the same category as NXT UK or Two Hundred Five Live, and a show that like has great talent on it, but with all the content going on now, wouldn't get the attention it probably deserved. But yeah, according to Mickey, yeah, this is what, what happened. And yeah, with Mark Carano, there've been very few people who have defended him about this because <coughs> his job. It involved like him to fire people, like quite a few people, like Gals and Anson, like last year, talking about the person who would have been going around to tell them they'd been let go would have been him. And like, like so Bruce Pritchard and JR and their podcasts have said in the past when they worked in talent relations, where part of the job is to inform people that they were being let go. So that gets you a lot of heat because you're just doing your job, but unfortunately, you've not got the best tone work because you have to tell people that they've lost theirs. So. Yeah, Mickey also was trying to just draw Debbie's attention to it, even though she was clearly pissed off about it. But also, it's quite shocking hearing the details about what was said to her about like wanting her to retire and what that person said to her about women's wrestling. Cause, uh, and you could clearly see Debbie's attitude towards Mickey. She, like, she was doing a bit of commentary, but she wasn't being used. She got a couple-of-week thing with Asuka like, late last year. In 2017, they were trying to say she was too old when she was doing that... Uh, that feud with Alexa and Mickey said in our podcast that I don't get why like there's all these older guys, that older male wrestlers who have been brought back year on year and they're lorded, but why is it not the same for the female wrestlers? And that is quite clear because like you see like the Goldberg and that being brought in and lorded as legends, and he's like good 10, 12 years at least older than her, if not fifteen, and yet they're trying to say early, oh, I should probably tie your pressures are probably behind you. You should probably just be an agent. Yeah, uh, last thing on this, she did respond to Stephanie's tweet. She said, thank you for investigating. However, I felt getting my stuff back in a trash bag was, um, what was it she said, symbolic of how I was treated over the past three years. So essentially she feels like she was treated like trash. And then when she got the stuff back in a trash bag, that was sort of a last straw. And understandably so. Um, it is yeah. unfortunate. Mark Carano, no longer with the company. That's not the unfortunate thing. He's been released. Obviously doesn't have the uh, easiest of job. Um, someone who people are happy to see in a job, though, is Jason Jordan. Um, mm. Something that I hadn't added to the show plan, I've just realised there. Um, he's now the head executive producer of Rod Smackdown. A lot of people are really happy with this because not only is it someone a bit younger, you know, he's 34 years old, he's someone who's 
who knows the current product and who has came up with a lot of the people in NXT. I complain, obviously, that many people have had in the podcast and many wrestling fans is that when NXT people come up, it doesn't seem like they get them. Whereas people like Jason Jordan, who's been in the performance centre with these people, he might have a better track record. And obviously now he's he's basically quite high up in the company. People like Triple H, who obviously build these stars in NXT, and someone like Jason Jordan being there, it can only be good news for people who are coming up uh, from NXT. What are your thoughts on uh, Jason Jordan and his new role? Um, well, I think I think it's really, really good, actually. I mean, we haven't seen Jason Jordan since he picked up his injury, so it it does like obviously make you wonder where where he was and what he was doing. But to see them offer him even just like he might have just taken the decision to stop wrestling. Like I think like the current the last storyline that he had being Kurt Angle's you know illegitimate child, um, which we all we all love that kind of storyline in WWE. <laughs> Um, the it was probably like the last straw for him because they did make him out to be a bit of an idiot in those storylines, um, and it, it did make you feel for him because you're like he has like little next to no control over this. He's just got to make the best of a, make, make a best of the situation. Um, so he might have just taken the decision. We don't know if he's still an active wrestler or not. But to see him get brought up, especially taking the place of John Laurinaitis, which I know that Kwaku. Will be extremely happy about you know first like not even not even just someone taking a job but it's like it's a man of color as well taking his job and so i think kwaku might be a little bit happy about that um but it is nice to see it's good to see as well that he he is younger he knows the products and like you said he's he's worked with the majority of that roster have come through nxt um so it's the younger demographic as well. He's going to know what what's working, what's not, um, and and take it forward. So you may you may see like a vast improvement in the next few weeks, especially like when he finds his feet. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that was a, a credit that they gave Paul Heyman. Sort of raw felt a lot more snappy and a lot more modernised in the time he had a bit more control of the place. Um, Scott, do you foresee bad times for Chad Gable? You know, Chad Gable's out loving it up with his new boo, Otis. <laughs> uh, Jason Jordan being Chad Gable's ex in a position of power problematic for people like Chad Gable. <laughs> they were romantically involved, Ross. In my world, they were. fiction now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so paperback and Kindle edition. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, What's the question? On a on a bit more serious note, is it good for people like a Chad Gable, people like a notice who have came up for NXT and maybe WWE does have a, a sort of thing where they'll ruin someone and then be like, ah, no, nah, we don't see the appeal there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Is it, is it good that someone is there fighting their corner, someone from the NXT system? Yeah, definitely, because like there is clearly been a lack of communication between the NXT like, creative team and the WWE creative team, and especially between like, Vince Triple H, which is hard to, believe, hard to believe, given that they're fucking like, easy son-in-law and everything. You'd think there'd be more communication there. But 
I think it's early too early to tell how much actual influence Jason Jordan will have. It is nice that he is getting this role. He's been shadowing agents since like a year after his his injury, and then he's he's been taking this role as, as an agent. So he's been around. He's been learning how like this process kind of works. I think he's sticking to this role. You know, I think it's better. I think financially, probably for his family, because he and his wife had their, their first child there not too long ago. So. You know, I think he's probably making a smart decision for him. He's, like you said, he's got that connection with everybody. He understands what a lot of the guys are going through and they feel like they're being like misused and everything. So it probably it will, in the long term, help. Uh, because, you know, we did see like Cayman getting more influence, but then, you know, then we saw that like Chris Pritchard was in charge of SmackDown and then he ended up taking over both shows. And then we saw a bit of a quality decrease in, in Raw. Although maybe clearly Pritchard's more focused on Rod and SmackDown because SmackDown's been like, an excellent since then. But uh, so we did see a, a major like shift in like times where like Pauline was clearly behind some people like Andrade and Alistair Black who were doing stuff like Pauline was apparently a lot behind like Liv Morgan's new character they were trying to redebut her with. But as soon as he's like not got the influence, like things seem to go wrong. So hopefully Jason Jordan in the long term doesn't like. Like have people in step in after he's already doing good work, and he gets to actually make some actual changes in this role. Uh, and I think a lot of people will be happy to see John Lerner out of this role because him coming at the end of him coming back, despite the fact he's great and fucking total bells and things like that. He uh, like the idea of like him coming back, given that he was one of the main guys behind the divas there and the the hiring of like models, like the stories of him basically going through like swimsuit catalogs and everything and just picking out women. And the catalogue and calling up and seeing if they had any interest in being part of WWE and so like that obviously we've come a, a, a long way since then yeah absolutely and I think <clears throat> WWE modernising themselves is key I think especially in this demographic you've saw um, people like Brandy Rose, uh, Rhodes she's the chief brand officer in AEW and she is very she does have her finger on the pulse of a lot of things. She is very forward-thinking. And I think for WWE, as, as much as we like Triple H, as much as Triple H and NXT, you know, is, a, is sort of a figurehead, he is an older white guy. There is some gimmicks he's not going to get. There is, you know... He's not always going to have the NXT writing team behind him to say this character is this, this and this and this is why it works, you know what I mean? So someone like Jason Jordan who is a lot younger, who is from a different background, I think that can only help WWE in the long run. Hopefully he is there for a longer period than Paul Heyman was in his role. It is a slow news week, guys. We have tried to expand on much as we can. Just a couple of t- uh, points that really don't want a lot of conversation. Bret Hart, again, is in the news, is old man yelling at Cloud. He's basically just said Triple H was pushed because he was Vince's son-in-law. He says, Vince has never, eh, sorry, Triple H has never had an original idea in his head, despite the fact that he created NXT, but, you know, we'll ignore that. Um, He was talking about, it's already a well-known story that Triple H and Shawn Michaels weren't a fan of The Rock, so Bret Hart backed The Rock. Um, I think this is just Bret Hart's quarterly moan. As much as a lot of people love Bret Hart in this podcast, and Bret Hart is a sensational wrestler, it is the monthly moan, basically. I think that's that's all it is. 
Um, I don't think it warrants much time on a conversation. Uh, and Callisto uh, has revealed recently that he asked for his release back in 2019, but due to an injury and uh, activating a, a renewal clause, WWE kept him on. He wasn't a fan of the Lucha House Party. It's why he's been removed from the group. He just he wasn't into it. Um, Can you blame him? No, no, I can't blame him. Uh, <laughs> I can't blame him. He is it's somebody that's been quite vocal that he wants his release for a while now. So, pardon me. So, not all bad, the releases. I know some people did not want to work there anymore. So, sort of a good... A good thing to come out of the fact that someone lost their job was the fact that that person really didn't want to be there at that job. Uh, to be fair, the, the Lucha House Party and everything like that, like, yeah, a lot of you are going to say, oh, oh, they're only together because they all wear masks. So, well, probably. But, you know, they could have really made that work. They were, like, a big fixture on 205 Live for a while. They, uh, uh, they could have made that work if they wanted to, if, like, the, the production folk really mm-hmm. wanted to. They could have made that work. I mean... Especially if you do love the luchador style, but for for some reason WWE seem to dis like sort of disapprove. Unless you're Rey Mysterio, they're not going to care. Yeah, because like uh, the young fans are definitely going to buy anything like mask related. It seems that's why they push like to these guys and Thinkada and people like that. So they clearly have value. But it seems to be weirdly, even though like when Cecil was brought up with Tinkara, they were pushing him as the next big guy, like he's been cruiserweight champion, US champion, things like that. As soon as like the Chaos Party got more focused on the main roster, it seemed to be Grand Metalik and Lindsay Dorado as a team that got them more focused and while he was kinda of faced it. So maybe that's why he fit like the odd man out and maybe thought like push these two as the Chaos Party because you know, those two were part of the Matdown Chamber, you know, Metalik got that intercontinental title match against AJ at the start of the year, you had Metalik challenging Escobar for the cruiserweight title, so it kind of did feel like he was probably the odd man. So maybe thought like either like make make us all like the focus on all three of us, or take me out of it and put the focus on these two and let me do my own thing. I miss the yeah. classic. That had such promise. Yeah, I think I, I've actually discussed this before on like fantasy booking. See what stops. 205 Live being successful is it's partly the attitude of the fans because we saw when Eric Bischoff was head of Smackdown and obviously Eric Bischoff did the cruiserweights in WCW he wanted Finn Balor to go be like the jewel of 205 Live and have matches with the likes of Ali and Buddy Murphy and we saw the negative reaction. We saw the negative reaction when Johnny Gargano was meant to be in uh, the Cruiserweight division. And it just seems like, right, I don't care about 205 Live. Okay, we'll put these people you care about in 205 Live. No, don't you dare put those people I care about in 205 Live. It does seem like a it's a never-ending circle sort of thing. And I yeah, think we need to... Say that again? So you're never going to make folk happy. I mean, wrestling fans, I'm pretty sure, I can't mind who said it, but they are the most fickle things in the world, and that includes myself, because I have been subject to going, no, I don't want Finn Balor on 205 Live, but it's just because 205 Live is on After Smackdown, and you're tired, and you're just like, and plus there's so much wrestling, and you're like, figure something out. <laughs> well, like, well, like, the Cruiserweight champion is even barely even shows up on 205 Live anymore. 
what's the point of even having it? Get all the guys who you just keep drawing out on 205 Live every week for storylines that have no purpose as a champ's not going to be on there and put them all on NXT. It's called the NXT Cruiserweight t- yeah. like Championship. Like, so you, put would, it- you would think. I mean, aren't they supposed to extend the NXT by like another hour or something? I don't think he needs an extra hour. Just like, like just an extra NXT. half hour then. <laughs> Enough NXT. for one match. <laughs> NXT are been one of the few like brands that actually properly use like they're telling like there's very rarely do you hear like so and so is underused or is annoyed about their lack of TV time on NXT. I mean, you're probably you know? going to dream at some point. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, not that I'm saying that NXT will be vastly improved by more, you know, Tony Nese or Aria Davari or ever rise, but. You know, at least give like it fills out the cruiserweight division, you know, and gives new people for you know Kushida to face. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I think WWE, like for my my two cents, I think WWE should just basically say to people, "Look, we're going to have a cruiserweight division. It's going to be these forty guys. Two or five lives going to be an hour long, an hour and a half for specials. We're doing this, you know. What I mean, and just say to people, deal with it." You know, if you want to see Kushida, Finn Balor, Santos Escobar, Tyler Bate, Pete Dunne, you have to tune in to this show. And people, I think people, if you went in with a really good roster and, you know, kept at it for a bit, especially, and, you know, when things get back to normal, maybe recorded it at full sale and sort of got that cult mentality going on around certain characters, I think it would be a success. But, eh... I can't blame Kalisto for that. Sorry, you go. Before you move on, uh, Russ, uh, I think about the cruiser division. I think a lot of people do like the con criticism is that the style that they wrestle, and that you have got the occasional like you know technical guy like a Kushida, you know, had the horrible lock and things like that. But like the style that all the cruiser wrestles is a similar style that a Finn Balor wrestles or some of the other guys wrestle who aren't part of the division. So the differentiate differentiating it from the rest of the stuff on TV is harder than it was back in the day, which is why I think like the X Division succeed where the Cruiserweight Division Derry is kind of struggling, because you know, a lot of the guys the whole thing about the X Division is not about weight limits it's no limits, so you can have a, a bigger guy like a Josh Alexander taking on a TJP or an ASOS, you know, these mix of people, like, you can have a Jordan Grace even pop into the X Division if you yeah. want to uh, yes! you know, they like mix it up you know, and that's why, you know, it didn't work that brief time in TNA where, like, they tried to make it a weight limit thing, like, it was, like, 225 or under, because, like, it was, Eric Bischoff freely admitted and has said since that the reason he did that is because, like, he didn't get the whole, it's not about weight limits, it's about low, no limits, like, he didn't, he thought that was stupid, he said that, like, well, if it's about no limits, then why, why can you still get disqualified in the next division title match then, and things like that, so, I think, you know, the fact that, uh, there's not, the style has evolved since then, even though like these are smaller wrestlers, they're still wrestling a very similar style to like a Seth Rollins or a Finn Balor. Yeah, we've kind of went into a fantasy booking bit here for 205 Live, so uh, off a Kalisto story, so it just shows that even when we speak about Kalisto, we really don't want to talk about him, so he's probably the best out of the company. Um, <laughs> I mean, sure, feel free to come to Impact, Kalisto, talk it could be the next division, then I'll talk about you. I'll talk about you all day. Hell yeah, he could be the new suicide. I don't know who's suicide currently, so. Caleb, I think the rumour is that is Caleb. Is still Caleb with a K? Allegedly. Oh, okay. Right, anyway, moving on to. 
he's playing Caleb Anthony, so he's getting two paychecks. Or if he's not, he should be. I know, he should but be. Anyway, moving on from... No, we'll make from, it the Caleb with a K appreciation. No, we move on to our last news story before we touch on what's coming up in the coming week. Um, a rather odd story around Drake Works, uh, the NXT referee with far too much fake tan. A, a lot of stuff came out recently that didn't favour having a good light, you know, people being released throughout things like speaking out or things people just being released due to budget cuts. Um, there are a few people in WWE who people believe shouldn't be there and we're talking about uh, Drake's beliefs being so right-wing that basically the people think that's what's keeping him in the company. The fact that he represents basically the, crazy. the opposite... Yeah, but he's talking about free speech, basically. He's, um, so, according to Dirt Sheet Radio, who put on Facebook, Drake Works, who works for WWE as a referee on the NXT brand, has been known to have, a, uh, to have controversial opinions. These have now had an impact on his work. Turns out he, he has had his duties reduced in recent months. Fightful Select reported that Daryl Sharma has taken the role of head referee in NXT, which Works once was. Try saying that five times fast. Wurtz <laughs> has been in, uh, was considered to fill the role of timing matches within NXT, but that was given to Scott Armstrong, who'd been on furlough with the company. Road Dog was instrumental in getting his brother back into the fold. Nepotism. Uh, Wurtz was also not offered the backup timing position, which can also lead to doing the timing of matches for 205 Live, but DA Brewster has taken over that uh, role. It was stated that Wurtz was either formally or informally suspended earlier in 2021, and wasn't allowed at the Capitol Wrestling Centre for better or worse for a short period of time. Last November, Wurtz took to Instagram to respond to allegations that he is a supporter of the Proud Boys and QAnon. It started when David Bixenspan posted an article that featured screenshots showing Wurtz on a parlour supporting the post by the Proud Boys group. The group described themselves as proud Western chauvinist who refused, refused to apologise for creating the modern world. When this article came out, it was stated that several higher-ups in WWE were horrified by what they read. On Wednesday, a video of Wurtz giving a speech at the community county commissioners meeting made its way online. He was backstage at Wednesday's NXT TV event while giving the speech. Uh, the meeting about... Where was his about man. shirt as well on that video call? Like you can see his NXT know. uniform? I know it, uh, it doesn't put WWE in the best of lights. The Post also said the meeting was about mask mandates and he made a case for why mandates make child sex trafficking easier. When he returned to the Capitol Wrestling Centre where NXT airs, it was said he had that said that he had subdued many mannerisms that got him substantial heat with many. Those in NXT are surprised he's still employed and some feel that his radical beliefs may have actually helped him from being fired. I mean, yeah. how we talked about TJP and these anti-mask stuff. You know, you, you wonder how someone like this can be so stupid. You know, it's <laughs> it's not to put WWE in, and I'm sorry, but if someone's putting your company into disrepute like that, I think you're best just cutting ties with them. I mean, especially like WWE mold themselves on being like family friendly and all this sort of stuff. I mean, when it comes to the mention of 
you know, child sex trafficking, you're supposed to run the other way at the very mere mention of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the hell that's got to do with fucking mass mandates, so it's a hell of a stretch from them. And it, look, this is the name, the Proud Boys. I mean, that just sounds wrong. I mean, it, I've been watching a lot of Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I mean, it just sounds like something that the group from that show would put together, not realizing how wrong the names sound. <laughs> So yeah, talking about the Armstrongs there, I shouldn't really put down, you know, people being instrumental on in getting their brothers places. Otherwise, I wouldn't be on this podcast right now. It's <laughs> in the like sort of bio. They're talking about chauvinism. You're like that is going to spark so many, like so many outs, outbursts with different different like groups, etc. I mean. Oh, I hate, I hate the word chauvinism as well. It it's just a very very disgusting word to hear, and like if anyone comes across as chauvinistic to me, they get a punch in the face. So <laughs> I'm not lying to yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it is a weird one, and I, it will play itself out in the next few weeks. I just wonder if we're ever going to see that fake tan uh, refereeing. Certainly a major NXT match again. I'd, I'd very much doubt we will. But uh, as we look forward to the week ahead, um, Scott, this past week on Raw, uh, Braun Strowman was added to the WrestleMania Backlash main event. He will now uh, be in a triple threat match with Drew McIntyre and WWE Champion Bobby Lashley for the WWE Championship. Um do you think this is going to be a case of um, another match where Drew can lose but not eat the pin to further Bobby Lashley's title reign and further the Drew McIntyre sort of redemption story? Or or what do you see happening here? Do you, do you like the idea of Braun being in the main event or are you just kind of over sort of over Strowman? I mean, the, uh, the steel cage match you had with... Uh... Shame was I think it was better than I thought it would be considering the weird storyline with the being people being called stupid and uh, you know dumping green slime on people. But like, I think they're wanting to keep that and let him go. And you know he's one of the big players they've still got right now. And uh, I think definitely he is there to take the pin. Whether Drew wins or Bobby wins, whoever wins that match pins him. And because uh, uh, like I'm still confused as to why the uh, well one Drew didn't win the title. Well. I'm less confused about that because Bobby's doing such good work, but why they went so quickly into Drewy Bobby again, and then I think they realised quite panicky, like, oh crap, we can't actually do this again, we can't have Drew taking our loss to Bobby. Uh, put Braun in there, you know, we've already buggered him up enough, so, with his booking, so he won't be hurt anymore by another loss. So, it does feel like they're just kind of spinning their wheels right now on World, because this is the main thing that's coming out of it, because the last few weeks have just been Drew with the help of Bob, uh, with the help of Braun, uh, going up against like Mason T-Bar, who despite not having their mask anymore, are still called Mason T-Bar for some reason. And I know you said before it was about this rumour of the COVID outbreak, but then you've got like the Brian Alvarez saying that, uh, oh yeah, that's probably not a reason for most of these guys not being here, because like almost an age, you don't have COVID or anything, and yet they're appearing next week for the first time since Mania, just because they didn't have anything for them, for the tag team champions. So the cafe brought them off saying, oh, they're off partying in Nigeria. They're still being their win in Nigeria or something like that, and they're very hungover. 
a hangover in Nigeria is certainly a, a good excuse to not show up for your work. Um, yeah, that AJ and that not showing up is a weird one. Um, I did get a notification from the WWE Network saying the Raw Tag Team Champions make their first televised appearance since WrestleMania on the bump. So, bit of a weird one, but hopefully we're a couple of weeks out from Backlash, we start picking up. Um, Sarah, what are your thoughts on Braun in the main event and the whole Bobby Lashley, Drew McIntyre storyline cont- uh, continuing? I mean, the actual pay-per-view itself is called WrestleMania Backlash. We all know that the pay-per-view that comes after WrestleMania is essentially a rematch pay-per-view. It's like the baby WrestleMania. Like that That's what it's going to be. So having Bobby versus Drew doesn't surprise me at all for this pay-per-view. Um, it it kind of feels a little bit sad because like apparently WrestleMania is supposed to be like the big culmination of the past year and then it's meant to reset. Um, that clearly is not the case anymore. Um, so in terms of like having like a standard Bobby versus Drew match, yeah, but add a stipulation at least, not involve another person just to eat the pin. Because they could easily protect both Drew and Bobby if they added the correct stipulation to that match. Um, whether it be like a steel cage match or a last man standing match, like just something that it sounds like they're going to battle for that that specific reason. It's like it's it's coming back after Drew losing or Bobby fighting to to keep that retention in. Um, so Adam Braun seems really pointless in that they just panicked and can't be bothered. I mean, that's probably not the, the reason behind it. There is probably a fantastic reason behind it. But when you're sitting looking at it as a fan and you're trying to look at the storyline, it's even the same when you're like in a, in a TV show. You follow the flow of the storyline. You don't jump back and forth to different things because it's just going to confuse yeah. everyone. And that's the whole purpose. This is supposed to be a story. And jumping Braun in just because he's been helping Drew seems absolutely pointless. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, your point about it's usually a WrestleMania rematch sort of show. I I think we've sort of moved away from that in recent years. That was that was a good thing to me. Whereas now it is very much a WrestleMania backlash. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like it, it's baby WrestleMania, as you mentioned. But... Uh, from Raw to NXT next week, the return of the former NXT champion Finn Balor. Uh, I'll be interested, Sarah, to see where he goes from here. Is he going straight back into the world title picture, or is he maybe going after, you know, the cruiserweight title with Kushida? Is he maybe going, you know, after the way and Johnny Gargano? He's he's merely posted a, a photo on his Instagram, a few photos of him and his wife in Mexico, and it just said recharged, refreshed, refocused. Well, see, that's that's the beauty. See, with Finn Balor, they've got that platform to go in any direction. I mean, he's a very well-known cruiserweight. Like we know that he fits the criteria, he fits the actual wrestling style of what you would assume to be cruiserweights, obviously based on growing up with Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero, etc. Um, but then they do also have the North American title. Um, they have the cruiserweight title. So they've got, they've not 
got this North American title just to make it the other title. It is just as important. I mean, like the way that they've pushed for Johnny Gargano to bring relevance back to it, because obviously there's been some times where just like, oh, meh, they've got the North American title. Like when putting on uh, Adam Cole at the very, very start of the actual inception of it, it felt like it had meaning. And now Johnny Gargano's brought meaning back to it. It's like the same with The Miz wanting to bring like that prestige back to the Intercontinental title. That there is absolutely anybody could go for it. Like to me, the in, the North American Championship is essentially what the Impact X Division title is because you've seen people like Bronson Reed taking on smaller guys like Kushida or LA Knight or you know Isaiah Swerve Scott, etc. Like there's a whole roster for the guys, and it, it honestly, it, I wouldn't be mad to see Finn Balor in with those guys, and especially bring that knowledge to the ring where they might lack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with Imperium kind of being around still, uh, I think maybe this is the time you can maybe try and pick up on Walter V. Uh, Balor that you were hoping to do last year. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you know whatever they do, it'll be big. Because, you know, I don't know if they're going to do... Uh, they're probably planning on keeping Adam Cole and Taylor really separate after their match. So maybe Cole V. Balor mm-hmm. is a... Feud, maybe a kind of a de facto kind of number one contender sale thing, and uh, with a winner of where we're there, inevitable match goes on to face cross down the line because I don't think they want to rush NXT aren't kind of brand to kind of rush into a, a, a rematch, especially not for like the world title. So I don't think cross will go right back into like going after cross. Yeah, I as well with Thatcher and Champa being back, I think you could do the feud with Walter with sort of Champ and Thatcher in Balor's Corner going up against uh, Barthel, Wolf and Archer. So I think that would be would be quite a good thing going forward for Balor. We've also got the NXT, the NXT Women's Tag Team titles in a short period of time have managed to become more relevant than the women's titles have ever been. <laughs> like, that is... Mm-hmm. That is Absolutely astounding. Um, the way um, Scott Indy Hartwell seems like a sullen teenager in a My Chemical Romance song. She's she's not allowed to see you know or a Taylor Swift song. She's not allowed to see her Romeo, her Dexter <laughs> Loomis, um, and they they're going up against uh, Shotzi and Ember. Do you think this will start to be the end of the way uh, with Dexter Loomis and Indy Hartwell becoming a thing? Or or can you maybe see a double turn coming here where it was like, oh, we were we were luring you in, you know, why would, he, why would I fancy Dexter Loomis? You know what I mean? So, that sort of thing. No, I definitely think this is leading to like further uh, dissolution of uh, the way and then dissolving because like, I honestly thought uh, Loomis would like appear at TakeOver and that would cost them their match when they had this at Standard Deliver Night 2, but we've seen Standard Deliver, most of the matches went fairly like without interference. Uh, but I think we'll have that here where Loomis appears behind the barricade, you know, and the Hot Rolls just like so enamored with him and then that leaves Candice almost at a two-on-one and, you know, total eclipse of Blackheart, as they should be called, uh, <laughs> in their tag titles and as you said, yeah, I mean, this is also a street fight, so it makes sense. You know, they've had a stipulation to this kind of rematch, but it's still too early to be switching the titles because 
you know, you had the quick switch from Raquel and Kai to these two. I think these two are going to hold on to these titles until at least maybe well, they have a takeover like SummerSlam weekend or at least then, if not later, these two will hold those tag titles. Help add, you know, some prestige to them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, Sarah, as, as good as, you know, this this feud is, and it is, you know, leading to a tag title feud, obviously, I think NXT does need a, a few more women tag teams. You know, this is where I think people like the Iconics being released was a bit of a mistake because as much as I'm praising it just now, it does look like they're going to run out of teams or credible teams uh, within the next few weeks. Yeah, I mean, see if at one point the Iconics, like you just hear, Iconic! Everybody <laughs> would be buzzing! Like, absolutely buzzing to have them back, um, especially as a team, because we all know that, like, I'm pretty sure, like, 99.99% of the wrestling community were heartbroken when they split up the Iconics. Like, you just, you lost the you lost the magic, and Billy Kay getting fired for, apparently, you know, Kevin Dunn not getting her was the biggest mistake that they could ever possibly make. Because she took what little she had and she ran with it. Same with Peyton Royce. That that promo that Peyton Royce cut on Raw Talk, it spoke to me. And, like, ever more so since she got released as well. That I'm just like, okay, they called her bluff. <laughs> Essentially, like, she was just like, let me go and see what I can do. And they're like, fine then. See what I care. And Be that way. Exactly. She's like, fine, see if I care. That's exactly what happened. So, like, I would kind of hope that, you know, because from what it, it looks like, that you can sign to NXT as a separate brand and not be anywhere near Raw and SmackDown. See if Triple H managed to get the Iconics back together and bring them to NXT. You would have so much rejoice and so much happiness. Like, people would pop for it and people would love to see it, especially because they do need more tag teams. Um, I think like the whole purpose of having the Dusty Classic for the women to then challenge the women's tag titles, have them lose, and then make your own tag titles, that's sort of essentially just um, of like Zack Ryder making his own championship, or like in the WWE 2K game, like you make your own title because you can't get a title. Like <laughs> that's that was essentially the storyline through 2K. I'm pretty sure it was 2K19 that you make your own belt because, you know, you couldn't win a title on your own. So, yeah, that's that's when you need people like that. I mean, and there's an, there's so many women. I mean, like, they've already tried to, like, have, like, the tag team of... It was Zoe Stark and somebody else, one of the three girls that got signed around about that time. It might have been um, formerly known as Priscilla Kelly. Um, I don't know her name. Because Zoe she's Zoe Stark's not with Marina Shafir. Oh, well, Marina Shafir's yeah. our goal. Oh, well, there you go. So, um, <laughs> like, because she, she went and left with Roddy, and we don't know where they're going. So, 205. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll save this discussion for another day because, much like the Cruiserweight thing, this is another one that could go on for a while. Uh, Scott. Blood and Guts on AEW. It's finally happening next week. Um, 
eight. They had the parlay last night on Dynamite. Um, I think as much as we expected, the rules are two rings, first two wrestlers get five minutes. Every two minutes, another member will come in, alternating between both teams. Once everyone's in uh, the match, it's submit or surrender. So they're going back to the old WCW ways. It's not the pinfall that the modern WWE one has. It's not a four-on-four, it's a five-on-five. And they decided that Shock Horror, the heel team, the pinnacle, get the advantage. Sean Spears said they were lured into this bout. We deserve the advantage. Sammy Guevara said they could have it. And I think in a sort of a pretty cool storyline, you know, with Jericho maybe, when MGF got in Jericho's ear and said Sammy's speaking out of turn and Sammy's, you know, being a bit too big for his boots, Sammy went, you know what, you can have it and I'll start with you. And they didn't challenge him on it. They went, yeah, you know what, you want to start first, you want to give them the advantage, you do that. So... I'm really looking forward to this uh, next week. And, you know, it's a war games. Let's call it what it is. It's a war games, but who doesn't love a war games? Oh, okay. It's submit or surrender. I mean, it sounds even cooler than war games. It's like, it's no pinfalls. No, you must submit or surrender. Like, (laughs) have a white flag and everything. Oh my God, please let them have a white flag. Yeah, AEW Blood and Guts sounds more epic than AEW Submit or Surrender, I think. But I think uh, I've not had a chance to watch much AEWs now, but I definitely will make sure I watch this. And there's been a lot of talk. Some people reporting that it was going to be a one match show just all dedicated to this. Some people saying it wasn't going to be that. But uh, apparently, the the latest part about it is that it'll be a one match show for whoever, for the people there in Daly's place, whereas we'll be taping other matches like on a separate night and then inserting them through, uh, before this for the uh, TV audience. But I think the TV audience are going to be, would probably be happy if it was just all dedicated to Blood and Guts. And I think it's fine for the live audience if it's just Blood and Guts because I think they've got this like thing where they're taping also a couple of episodes of Dark and Elevation. So the live crowd, live crowd get their money's worth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think I'm glad that, you know, there's actually a story here, like, these guys are getting the blood and guts match, because as much as I love the theory of Stampede, when they originally announced, you know, blood and guts, the original one between the Elite and Inner Circle, like, a month and a bit after they'd last feuded, it made no sense, and yeah. I'm, also, I'm also glad that it's not between fucking Cody, Nightmare Family, who nobody cares about and can't remember who they're involved in, and fucking QT Marshall and pals, because, you know, Cody, oh, my dad invented war games, so I should be in war games, so... Thankfully, he's not put himself in war games, but <laughs> it's basically fucking QT Marshall and a bunch of like developmental guys plus a boxer who I think can't wrestle now because he got injured. But <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be weird to see the inner circle as the faces now, especially their leader, Canada's favourite Trump supporter, but it'll still be <laughs> a, a hell of a match. And, you know, I'm hoping also they're going back to the submit or surrender kind of thing. I'm hoping they kept what NXT have done with it and that they've not put a riff on it. And you don't have instance like that time Brian Pillen nearly got his neck broken because Sid picked him up for a powerbomb and his legs, his feet got caught in the cage and he couldn't get him up all the way. Yeah, that was a grisly moment. Uh, we're coming up for the hour and a half mark, so I'm just going to get your guys' quick predictions. What happens next week? Do we see Pinnacle grow from strength to strength or do the inner circle... Uh, give them their come up in Scotland. 
Nej, det kan bli inner circle. Right, Sarah? Oh, hell yeah, inner circle are going to win this. Um, plus, imagine if they just entered with full-on Fozzy. Not the, not the track, <laughs> just a concert for Fozzy. I think, I think the whole point of like this feud to turn inner circle face is so that people can rightfully cheat, sing along to Jericho's theme song. Because they've been singing it for like a year, despite the fact that he's been like one of the top heels on the roster. So they thought, fuck it, we need, we need someone more dislikable. MJF, you rub people the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, very true, very true. Um, but that is going to do is uh, for this week on Central. I think we've made the best out of what is a slow news week after the bombshell week before where, you know, everyone was getting released and there was so many things to talk about. We've kind of picked up the the stragglers, but we've done it well and I'd like to thank the stragglers who helped me today. Uh, <laughs> Scott McLeod and Sarah Green. What a fucking backhand of compliment that is. <laughs> I think that's the best compliment I'm ever going to get from Ross McLeod, so... <laughs> uh, and if you'd like to hear more of my dulcet tones and great backhanded compliments well you can find our massive back catalogue of which I'm featured on just about everything uh, at uh, Suplex Retweet uh, on iTunes, Android, Spotify and Anchor or Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet sorry made an arse of that at Suplex Retweet is the social media handle though and that's Instagram, Facebook, YouTube Facebook, you name it we're there, Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet community get involved with us Uh, And we'll catch you again soon. Bye-bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.